This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Caroline Wozniacki will play the Australian Open this year for the first time in four years. But what many of us don't know about Caroline is that she manages rheumatoid arthritis. And she has been working incredibly hard to speak publicly and openly about living with arthritis and the impacts that it has on her life and the treatments that are or aren't available. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Nick Healy, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, the idea of a young, fit, elite athlete managing arthritis, that's not the image of arthritis that we have, is it? Oh, absolutely not. And isn't it funny to think about all those misconceptions we have about arthritis? It's, it's what your nono has, your nana, your yayu, whatever. You know, it's, it's something that older family members have. They complain about it a bit, but what are you going to do? It's just what happens when you get older, right? Well, it's actually a lot more complex than that. There's different types of arthritis. You can get it when you're young. I had a family member very, very close to me who I spent most of my waking life with as a kid who got arthritis when she was around 10 years old. Now, I reckon it probably would have taken years for them to get that diagnosis. And I have to say, looking back on it now, I reckon as kids... We didn't believe her. We didn't think, or we just thought, come on, come out and play. What's (laughs) going on? Get over it. Why are you whinging? Why would you believe it at that age as well But when all you think of it is something that grandparents have, older family members? Um, what it means, of course, as you pointed out, I, I know people who got it in their 20s and a similar situation, incredibly hard to get diagnosed because people aren't looking for it. You know, that kind of misconception often can run all the way mm. into the medical community. Absolutely, and it can also run into funding and research oh. as well, and we're going to go into that today. So how incredible is it that not only that Caroline Wozniacki, after having a couple of kids, is coming back and playing at an elite level and she will be a part of the Australian Open this year. The fact that she is out there spruiking and talking openly about living with arthritis, because for so many of us, we don't understand what it is. We think it's just an old people's condition, but it affects boys, girls, women, teenagers, children, and it can impact all parts of your life. So what do you want to know? about arthritis and if you're living with arthritis what do you want other people to know about living with arthritis this is the conversation hour the more concerning thing here is your arthritis arthritis yes you have arthritis in your knee is uh arthritis a catch-all for some kind of injury to the uh... no arthritis is a degradation of the joints this is arthritis 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 yes I usually just say it once. So that's Ben Stiller there from the movie While We Were Young, starring Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts. And that movie scene rings true, Nick Healy. The idea of, hang on a second, arthritis. How could I have that? How could I have that? 
1-300-222-774. You can text as well, 0437-774-774. Caroline Wozniacki wants people to start to talk about having arthritis and to pull out that stereotype. A man who's been nodding along to everything we've been saying here, Dr. <laughs> David Liu. He's the medical director of Arthritis Australia and is also a rheumatologist from a public hospital in Melbourne. Do we think arthritis, David, is just something that old people get? That's such a common conception, Rochelle. And I mean, it's it's understandable that uh, Ben Stiller made a joke about it because I think it's this idea that uh, that your grandparents would get arthritis, but we know that the spectrum of arthritis can affect everyone from babies all the way through to old people. And um, really, it, in every single situation, it has that impact on their lives, which really means that we have to think about yeah. the impact it has on our society. So, David, let's step back a bit. How how common is arthritis? Mm. How many Aussies are affected by it? Well, our best estimates are that nearly 4 million Australians are affected by arthritis at the moment, and we expect that n- number to grow. So um, you think about the impact on our society by having that many people living with daily pain, daily symptoms, and impacting their capacity to do things, just simple things like brushing your teeth or even, you know, wiping your bottom when you go to the toilet. Those kind of things which, you know, we don't talk about much, but those are the things that get to you on a day-to-day basis. How gradual is arthritis? This is not something that you would be diagnosed with and then it comes on sudden and fast. Is it slow and gradual or is that just another stereotype that I'm playing into? (laughs) And there are so many stereotypes. And I think what makes it really difficult is that uh, arthritis is, a, there are many diseases that come under this arthritis spectrum and some of them are created by different chemicals like gout, for example. Some arthritis is triggered off by infection and we see that it can be after an infection like really? reactive arthritis. Yeah, I had no idea. So yeah. arthritis can be triggered by an infection. But, wow. Yeah, and sometimes it's infection itself inside the joint. But oh. what we, we, the thing is, for each of those different types of arthritis, and then you think about the really more common arthritis uh, types like rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, different things cause them in different situations. And the way that they play out varies from situation to situation and from person to person. David, does that mean the treatment is different from type of arthritis to type of arthritis? Absolutely, and I think that's what makes it really confusing. Um, not just for people living with arthritis or people who know people who might have arthritis, but then also people uh, in the medical profession, generalists who have to deal with arthritis amongst many other things, trying to sort out what type of arthritis someone might have and what that might mean for the type of treatment that they might get or what might help them or what might not. This text that says, my son was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis at 15 months. Mm. He wasn't mm. walking and would wake up crying with the pain. He was told he would grow out of it in puberty but still lives with it today and he's nearly 40. That's from Narelle, uh, who's in Melbourne, 15 months old. Are you looking for, I mean, this is probably a question for, you know, in paediatrics, but are you looking for arthritis when someone's 15 months old? And I mean, I, I wish that story was just a one-off, but that happens all the time. Wow. It's, it's so, um, it's heartbreaking every yeah. time I hear a story like that because you know that a baby is struggling like that and we're not be a- being able to deliver the kind of care that we would like to, to give them relief and to give them a normal childhood. But that equally applies to um, to younger, older um, children, to younger adults and uh, right across the age spectrum. Uh, it's the kind of thing which I think we wish we could pick up better and we know that research could help us 
in that on that front but we also need to do much more in our health system to be able to try and make that happen. I want to, in just a moment, talk about, you've mentioned the impacts, you know, and speak a little bit about how it does impact people's lives, but also to mm. then the cures, if there are any, and how you manage arthritis. But let's have a chat to Lyndon, who's in Melbourne. Morning, Lyndon. Yeah, look, I'm very lucky that I wasn't diagnosed at 15 months old and, and I have, um, yeah, lost the condition in my teenage years. But I remember from about a at age eight through to age 11 or 12. I mean, I, I had juvenile arthritis. It affected my hips and my groin, and I wasn't able to play any team sports for, for all those formative years, and I, I reckon it probably affected my general fitness as well through those years, and and that probably had an impact on my, my early adolescence as well. Uh, Lyndon, is it something you were able to talk to uh, your, your peer group about? Was there any sort of understanding there on that level? I think... The you know the earlier comments like people didn't really believe me. You know, yeah, the PE teachers when I said things like, "Look, I, I can't run. You know, it hurts. I have this condition called juvenile arthritis. It's just something that people haven't heard of before." How do you manage it now, Lyndon? Has it changed much luckily, over the years? Yeah, look, luckily I think about twelve or thirteen, it just completely went away. So, um, yeah, there was no specific treatment for it. I remember maybe having some anti-inflammatories on hand if it was particularly bad. But yeah, I was very lucky that at yeah, 12 or 13 years old, it just completely disappeared and, and hasn't affected me since in my adult life. Oh, Lyndon, you just remind me so much of, you know, my cousin, as I said, growing up, my cousins were my life. And I just saw her, you know, fall out of sport and all sorts mm. of things. When you talk about impacts, David, are there the sort of impacts you where how arthritis impacts our lives? Lyndon couldn't play sport as a kid. I mean, that's for a lot of us, not everyone I know, but for a lot of us, that's our entire life. We don't think about all the work that our joints do until <laughs> we feel them go. I have... Um, I think many of us have patients who used to be, um, well, emerging elite athletes at a junior level and whose careers have essentially been nixed on the basis of their juvenile arthritis. How do you manage it? So mm. is it like, is it, is there a cure? Yeah. And I think the best way to answer this is to talk a little bit about the kind of things that cause joint pain and arthritis. We know that sometimes it's about altered pain systems. Sometimes it's about more of a wear and tear type picture, but often there's inflammation in amongst that as well. But sometimes it's primarily driven by inflammation, by the body's defence system, the immune system attacking itself. And in those situations, medicines can really try and interrupt that inflammation and turn things right around. We've come so far in the last 30 years. Wow. But yet we still have the situation where people um, have to live with remnant symptoms, the the burden that still is there and that affects them on an everyday basis. Hey, just very quickly, a couple of texts coming in. Uh, Meg and Terry, I was making fun of the stereotypes, not trying to perpetuate them before. Yeah, I exactly. do apologise. <laughs> I was genuinely I making fun of that. Thank you very much. Uh, also on the line, Jessica in Glenroy. Uh, Jessica, you are living with arthritis. Yeah, I was very excited to hear you talking about it as a young woman with it. <laughs> How does it impact you, Jess? You know, lots of ways. I'm kind of new to the condition. I only got diagnosed in my mid-30s. So I've got a type of rheumatoid arthritis um, that the your guest spoke about a bit that is managed with medication. So a, um injection every two weeks that sort of the layman terms that I use is it sort of calms down my immune system, stops it attacking my lower back. So um, left alone, I'll grow these kind of 
horrible things on my spine that can cause a, a complete lack of, of ability to move and function um, as it progresses. Um, but the thing about it that I that particularly I want to talk about with rheumatoid is that um, these these calm down your immune system, which does mean that you're immune suppressed. So in the workforce, it's so challenging. Those times someone comes to work and goes, oh, I've just got a cold. It's not COVID. Don't worry. And you're there going, I'm going to be sick for two weeks because of this. I mean, right now I'm on day something like 10 of COVID. It's taking quite a long time to shake it. And I know it's because of this immune suppression and um, wow. you know, getting a lot of support from my doctor. But it's um, it's different being immune suppressed and lots of other conditions I are no as well. Idea. But arthritis is part of that. Yeah. No, no, I didn't know either. And Jessica, just really quickly, uh, how hard was it to get diagnosed? W- was it difficult to get sort of taken seriously when you were approaching medical uh, practitioners talking you about know, your pain? You speak to a gripe that I have now all the time. You know when you pass an ad for a physio and they go, lower back pain, come in and, you know, try out our new thing. For years I thought lower back pain just meant you go to the physio, you've done something to yourself, it's your your fault. Actually, if you've got persistent pain, go to the GP, look at your blood levels. It's because purely I was vegetarian for so long, I always had my blood done that the doctor went, huh, <laughs> you know, your inflammation is extremely high for a woman wow. of your age. Let's go to a rheumatologist. And I don't think I would have got diagnosed. I would have just kept thinking, oh, you're not going for enough walks. You're not as active as you need to be. So, um, yeah, it's important to have that relationship with your doctor, to get your bloods done regularly, to check your inflammation levels in there. Um, I don't know where I'd be if I... Wow. Just, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. Jess, I'm so glad you called. I've learnt so much from you just sharing your story. <laughs> oh, and we, yes. we, we wish you all the best. What's it impacting Jess's immune system there, David? Is it the drugs or is it the arthritis itself? It's a little bit of both, but uh, I think it speaks to the fact that as far as we've come in the last 30 years, we still haven't uh, created normal lives for the people who live with arthritis. And I think we became really conscious about that during over the last four years, as you might imagine. It's uh, the kind so of working from home would have been really good for people living with arthritis. Certainly could help, but I mean mm. we're obviously losing a lot of that now as well as um, as, as workplaces go back to being yeah. normal. Um, but yeah, having that fear uh, for people with immuno- who have been immunosuppressed as to what a, a mystery infection might do to their livelihoods and how they balance that up against the medicines that actually. Um, bringing the immune systems into some sense of normality. So many great questions coming in on text. This quick one says, everybody wants to know, does cracking your knuckles cause arthritis in the hands? That's from Alan. That is a very commonly asked question. <laughs> and no, no, it doesn't. I mean, that's always been a, um, a point of uh, that people ask about. But no, um, we've done studies into that. As far as we can tell, it, it doesn't. This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunt here with you. Melbourne, Nick Healy, your co-host, joining you from ABC Shepparton. And in the studio, Dr David Liu, the Medical Director of Arthritis Australia and also a rheumatologist, I can't even say it, at a public hospital in Melbourne. We are talking arthritis today. Caroline Wozniacki is making a comeback to the Australian Open and she wants us talking about arthritis because this is certainly something, as we're discovering today, that impacts so many people people in our society, 4 million to be exact. Professor David Hunter is a rheumatologist 
rheumatologist. Am I saying that correctly? Rheumatologist. Rheumatologist. Thank you. It's very late in the year to be throwing me a very large word like this. He's a clinician and a researcher whose primary research focuses on clinical research in osteoarthritis. David, I'm so sorry that I completely butchered your incredibly important title, but a warm welcome to the conversation hour. When we talk, when we talk about new treatments, are we still looking at treatments that, say, my cousin was taking thirty years ago? How far have treatments progressed? I think if you're talking about arthritis in general, and David may well have covered this, the treatments for uh, particularly inflammatory arthritis have gone through a revolution over the last couple of decades. So they've they've had a dramatic revolution. Um, the most common arthritis, and that's the arthritis that I study, is a, is a disease called osteoarthritis, and that probably accounts for about 90% of the reason why people present complaining of pain in their joints. And the treatments for that have changed, but the adoption of those treatments and the implementation of those treatments hasn't necessarily changed, and people's access to those things hasn't changed. So very happy to, to expand on that, if you would like. Please do, because I'd love to know why we aren't kind of keeping up to date with the research that's being done, the the way the treatments are advancing. Yeah, so I'm going to get into a very pithy, controversial area, but medicine and health are very good at reacting to problems. Um, And so in general, for osteoarthritis, what we advocate for is to get people strong, to get them active, if they're above a healthy weight, to get them to reduce weight and get them to understand their disease. And then there's a a range of other things we can do, including modifications to shoes, braces, uh, uh, and and a range of other things. Now, the challenge is that when we approach health and we do so as a sick person, uh, we're very good at reimbursing, that is paying for, expensive tests and expensive interventions. So, So for osteoarthritis, that might be things like getting an MRI. It might be having an arthroscopy or having a joint replacement. And in general, for the vast majority of people who have osteoarthritis, we don't need any of those. Um, Now, joint replacement is a wonderfully cost-effective procedure for the right person at the right time in their disease. Um, But in general, there's a range of things that go on that get reimbursed by Medicare and get paid for readily. But if you want to see a dietitian, to see a physiotherapist, uh, to see an exercise physiologist and to have that supportive process to get you to lose weight, get strong, it's really, really hard. So are you talking about preventative medicine and there just not being support there to help yeah. us through that process? But at, at the yeah. end, if you need your hip replaced, we'll pay for it. Yep, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we and others have done a lot of research in this space and the vast majority of people do quite well if they're afforded an opportunity to change their behaviour, to get active, to get strong and to lose weight. But more often than not, our healthcare system doesn't do that. But David, I've got to say, like for people to take those steps to change that lifestyle where they're already living in that pain, how I mean, that can be, that? how is that, the complexity is a bit overwhelming. It, I'm not suggesting that it's easy. And, you know, for someone who's living out there who has osteoarthritis, if I say to them, you know, go out there, go for a walk, ride a bike and they, and and to lose weight. And I just say that to them and I don't provide a structure and support around them uh, to give them appropriate guidance, to, to monitor their exercises, to give them feedback, to support them through that process. It's really hard. Mm. I'm not suggesting it's easy. But if we don't have that structure and we don't support 
uh, access and reimbursement of that, it's not going to happen either. How do we do that? Because you're pretty much talking about my my mother-in-law's life at the moment and as a result of not having access to uh, exercise programs and all the support and living in, in regional Victoria has had two knee replacements. And when you're in your 80s and you're having relatively serious surgery like that, it's quite confronting to... Um, to put someone through full-on surgery, what needs to change? Is it, Professor David Hunter, that the recognition isn't there, the funding isn't there, or is it that the specialists and the osteos and whoever it may be, that they're not available? What's not quite adding up here? I think simply the the answer is really about reimbursement. Um, we have plenty of great physiotherapists, exercise physiologists, dietitians, nutritionists, psychologists we've developed training programs so that people know what needs to happen from the viewpoint of changing people's behavior and supporting them through that process uh, so the, the structures the structures are there but they're not being reimbursed to do that so for example for your mother-in-law she would have gone along and this is what typically what happens and it's not a denigration to the health professionals who are out there she would have gone along to a general practitioner more often than not what happens is they get prescribed an analgesic like an anti-inflammatory and when that doesn't work any longer, they're sent off to see the surgeon. But no thought at any point in time mm. is given to things that we know work and will help and will help multi-joint problems which your mother-in-law had. And I guess this is, as a society, we are talking about prevention more and more and more. David, we know that you've stepped out of uh, a, a very busy schedule to speak to us today, so we thank you for your time. Professor David Hunter there. David, you're listening to this. Would you agree with what David Hunter had to say? Do we not financially support people enough to be able to live comfortably with arthritis? Absolutely. And I mean, if we talk about the $14 billion a year that we spend on dealing with people uh, in the health system with arthritis and musculoskeletal conditions, we could wipe off quite a big chunk of that if we were to try and focus on that type of approach rather than a reactive approach. Now, I mean, there's plenty that's going on in the space to try and compensate for this. Um, we know, for example, that actually just yesterday, Arthritis Australia uh, released a portal, Moving with Arthritis, which focuses on giving people with arthritis advice about how to approach exercise. There's a lot of fear about exercise with, for people living with arthritis. Am I going to hurt myself by exercising? And am I going to benefit from exercise? We know that people right across the age spectrum benefit from exercise and arthritis, and that even just small amounts can make a really big difference. That, of course, doesn't really get around a lot of the issues that David's mentioned there and that really we need to look, be looking better at how we can empower allied health practitioners to be able to support that, physios, occupational therapists. We have a shortage of uh, so many of those specialists as we speak. Well, I mean, not only that, we've got an issue with funding, that fundamentally people um, who on a chronic disease management plan only get five visits for the, um, for the year. And in amongst that, that's, that has to cross... Five cross, visits for the year? Across what? all other, other health. Not just, just physio or just occupational therapy. So if you've got to see a podiatrist as well, if you've got to see an exercise So it's not even per specialist? No. Oh, that's outrageous. <laughs> so, I mean, what chance do we give people, right? So... If we are trying to encourage people to exercise and we would like to have someone there to help guide them through the nuances of it, make sure they're doing it right because often if you do it slightly wrong, then things might not, you might not get the benefit. 
trying to get people to do it right, you need to have those people by your side. Yeah. David, I want to come back to that funding mm. in in just a couple of minutes, actually, because I think it's a really interesting thing to drill down on. But mm. Anne's on the line from Melbourne, and, and, and you know, y- you're saying that your arthritis doesn't get a lot of coverage. People don't talk about it a lot. Well, I never knew it existed. Um, and that was got a big, I got a big shock when I became seriously unwell um, and was diagnosed with cirrhotic arthritis. Cirrhotic mm. arthritis? Cirrhotic arthritis. I had contracted a very severe virus. I got Ross River fever and I wasn't recovering. I have a really great uh, family GP, so it didn't take too long to figure out there was something else wrong. But by the time we discovered what it was, I only had the use of a small use of my left hand. um, The pain of arthritis is one thing I think everyone needs to understand. It is can be excruciating, but normal medications don't take away. And we'd had two new grandbabies at the time that I couldn't even hold. Um, so, yeah, I'd never even heard of it. And I am so lucky to be sitting in my car talking to you with a great rheumatologist and medications. It took a long time to get right that mean I can live almost a pain-free and um, wow. healthy life. So, and you actually have had some success with medication. You, you have felt that this has changed for you and for the better. It changed my life. I was sitting on my, my couch looking at my grandbabies thinking, oh, my God, is this what I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life feeling like? Because I couldn't even open a jar or I actually couldn't fend for myself at all. It did take quite a number of months, I think maybe a year or so, as we worked through the medication protocols to end up with the treatment that I have now, which is a once a month um, injection that has given me a full life again. And thank you so much for calling in to talk about this. I, I think these stories and especially those personal experiences yeah. when it comes to pain, incredibly important. We had a text earlier from Jordan in Geelong saying, I've got arthritis in my neck. It goes down both sides. When it plays up, the pain it causes some of the worst I've ever experienced. I've had two shoulder reconstructions. I've broken so many bones. 20 years of skateboarding, I've known a lot of pain. Arthritis might be 9.5 out of 10 I've had it for 10 years and I'm only 39. So, I mean, David, to me, that's fascinating is that this, obviously, you know, we talk about the impairment from the arthritis itself, but that pain has got to be a massive factor for so many people. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it's not just about function, it's about pain and trying to balance uh, dealing with both of those um having an impact on your life, affecting things like sleep. We all know that if you don't get a good night's Mm. sleep, that life becomes much more miserable. And um, so people living with arthritis frequently don't get very good sleep. And the other thing is, if you're having to take pain medication constantly, there's Mm. a whole other world of issues that come with long-term pain medication, uh, overdose, addiction issues. I mean, I know I've got people close to me who have taken, uh, had to have steroid injections for years and years and years. As a result, their skin is paper thin. You know, you could brush their skin and it would peel like an orange. Like long-term pain medication has all types of impacts on your life. Absolutely. I think we want to get to the the point where we're dealing with things before that kind of damage is allowed to accrue. If we can get in early, then we can stop people getting to the point where pain just builds and builds 
damage to bodies builds and builds and we're in a situation where we're stuck on potentially stuck on some of those pain medicines or potentially stuck with some of that damage to people's bodies so what david uh, hunter was saying before about intervening early that applies to something like osteoarthritis definitely but also the thing like ans psoriatic arthritis or other different types of arthritis if we can get in early and treat with those effective tr- treatments early then we can actually prevent a lot of damage the issue is getting in to to get to see a specialist and there aren't enough specialists. Let's go back to funding and exposure and the type of coverage and recognition that arthritis gets. And even we now, right, are bundling arthritis into just arthritis and yet it is so (laughs) different and individual and so many different parts of it. I mean, there's even a text here saying, thank you so much for this conversation about arthritis. I'm going to Google Arthritis Australia now. I didn't even know that you existed. How... How is that possible, David, given that this impacts 4 million people's lives? It's lifelong. The impacts affect not just the individual, but the entire family and our economy. Why are you not getting the spotlight that you need? I ask myself that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, and it's maybe in some ways it's been unfashionable to fund. And if you look at research funding, um, if you look at for every person living with a condition, with arthritis, it's less than three dollars per person that's spent on research um, a year. You compare three, that. Sorry, sorry, three dollars per person. Yes, and you compare that to over sixty-five dollars a person for cardiovascular disease, or over one hundred and thirty dollars a person for people with living with dementia. Three dollars. I mean, I think it really speaks to how unfashionable it has been <laughs> to talk <laughs> about this. You should see Nick and I. We're not lost for words very <laughs> often. <laughs> oh. Three bucks. Mm. Yeah. How I, do we change that? <laughs> I mean, even to get it, double it to $6 is ludicrous, <laughs> right? But well, and, and, I mean, it, the research is one side of things, and I, and I think that's something that the government clearly should be thinking about how to impactfully fund uh, research into arthritis. But then also care. Uh, we just aren't training enough rheumatologists, and that means there's a bottleneck that and people like Anne can't get in to get the assessments they need and to get the specialised medicines that they need that change their so lives. So why are people training in the field? There are a lot of people who would love to do rheumatology, and there just aren't enough training spots. Brendan Murphy, who used to be the Secretary of the Department of Health in Canberra mm-hmm. and obviously um, had been the Chief Medical Officer during COVID, he always used to say and, you know, still uh, occasionally says that at the hospital he used to work at that there were four orthopaedic registrars and one rheumatology registrar. And really it should, for, in terms of the demand for the community, it should have been the other way around. We just don't support that kind of care well enough. And I wish that all the people who wanted to do rheumatology could become uh, rheumatologists. But right now the government doesn't fund enough training places. And look, David, when I was looking at where rheumatologists are based, um, yet again, it's mainly in capital cities. In fact, I think uh, even around regional Victoria in the outer regional areas, you're looking at only 3% of the rheumatologists that are available are, are available in those areas. Absolutely. It's, um, it's heartbreaking for uh, people living with arthritis in regional and rural areas. Um, I... Um, it's, and that's actually an improvement compared to what we were looking at previously. And there have been different initiatives to try and, and uh, to target, um, 
getting rheumatologists to work in those environments, but we're struggling even in the city, let alone um, in regional rural areas. So I think that's obviously something that hospitals um, in those areas it would be lovely to see more rheumatologists in that environment. And there are definitely people who want to go. You're listening to the voice of Dr David Liu, who's the Medical Director of Arthritis Australia. Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we discuss arthritis and what we should know about it. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And as thanks to Caroline Wozniacki, who's returning to the Australian Open this year after four years, we're discussing arthritis because she manages rheumatoid arthritis, an elite athlete in her mid-30s, and she wants people to know and understand more about it. Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you, and Dr David Liu is with you as well. Uh, Damien's on the line from Munda. Damien, uh, you wanted to talk, we've been chatting a bit about how painful arthritis is. That's something you've been experiencing. Uh, yes, I've had uh, quite a few years with uh, psoriatic arthritis and also on the sideline, peripheral neuropathy and um, several other uh, things. But I have um, a very good uh, team of doctors that look after me. But before I got diagnosed with sciatic arthritis, I was looking for a surgeon to take my feet off. Oh. But my ankles were that painful. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it, David? I mean, that's confronting to hear, but that's the sort of pain. And we we have to recognise that. And, um, I mean, if I think about why I decided to do rheumatology all those years ago, it was to be able to help people like Damien, knowing that we can turn things around quite a lot. Uh, but... Um, it's about getting that care and he, and Damien's, I hate to say is probably one of the lucky ones because he's had his disease identified, sounds like he's getting really great therapies and is working with good doctors. I wish we could bring that to more people. Gary's in Doncaster Morning Gary. Good morning What did you want to say? Um, is there any expectation or optimism that stem cell cures could materialise maybe a mm. comment about tests and so on? Sort of, good question happen? Gary Yes, and I mean, that's a constant area of research. Um, stem cells are certainly something that's been looked at globally. I have to say, I think the results have been probably a little bit disappointing. Um, and a lot of new technologies do go through that um, the, a hype curve where things look really promising at the beginning, um, then maybe less so, and we find their place in the end. I do wonder whether stem cells will find um, a place in the end, but I do know at the moment as well, we're not utilising the therapies we've got as well as we should be. David, just a quick question uh, and a little bit off base on this one, but a few people have texted in talking about trying not to discuss arthritis at work, that there's a real stigma around it, Mm. there's a bit of concern that uh, for some jobs you might be failing medicals, you might find yourself unemployable. How much of that have you seen, I guess, or or similar situations? I was in clinic this morning and that just rings true. I think part of it is the fact that arthritis, it's it's an invisible condition to some extent, right? You don't see someone's struggles in the morning or at night. You don't see them struggle um, to wash themselves or or fumble in the kitchen. Uh, You don't see their stiffness and pain, and that's a problem. Does it... Do declarations, do you need to declare it? I mean, when we talk about mm. job applications and stigma and stereotypes in jobs, that's sort of just the beginnings mm. of mm-hmm. change there. Yeah. Does that need to change? Well, I think it's um, it's obviously complicated because uh, we do know some people can get a lot better from their arth- arthritis. And we can, as we've heard a number of times this morning, the right medicines at the right time 
can turn things around. And so at the same time, there's a lot of misunderstanding there in the assessment, arthritis being this catch-all for a lot of different things. Yes, that's the problem. And so what it means is that I'd I'd hate to see people who could go on to have good, productive working lives get essentially labelled and banished and that they might not get the satisfaction that they should do Mm. from work. Before we have a chat to Jenny, who's waiting in Fitzroy, I mean, to go from the question around stem cells, can we flip that to the other end of the scale and look at some of the potential snake oil Mm. solutions Uh. that are around there? I mean, don't get me started on the vitamin industry, but... Let me start just a little bit, right? It takes up aisles and aisles of our supermarket. It is sold to us in a way that is going to fix everything and save everything. And I've lost track of the amount of joint pain, arthritic pain, you name it, pain relief, vitamin that is being sold to people. Do they help? Well, (laughs) the vast majority of them don't. We do know that some might help a very small amount. But the reason why these flourish is because, uh, well, desperation creates this kind of yep. desperation. It's a market. It is. And, I mean, that's par- it's partially from not having enough rheumatologists, not being able to get people with the right care. It's also partially from us not recognising the conditions early enough and it's easy to go to a supermarket shelf. What about the copper, copper bracelets? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I can. I can put that one to bed. I'm, I'm comfortable putting that Come to from, bed. Right? I guess you're going to try it though. What's what's it going to hurt? Well, yeah. I wear a bit of jewellery. Yeah, well, and I think that goes back thousands of years. So I'm not going to try and turn that around. And <laughs> at the very least, I don't think they're harming too many people. Well, I mean, they're making skin green, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure we get all over that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the phone, we've got Jenny in Fitzroy who has been waiting. Jenny, good morning to you. Hello. I just want to say to Damien, I feel very sad for him. It almost made me cry. That's how I feel about my ankle. But I wanted my left, right foot chopped off. But I was really lucky after a couple of years of um, difficult pain um, that I found a physiotherapist who's got a PhD in ankles and she helped enormously um, with load management, strength exercises, and I now see her and others. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, and I have had an advanced care plan, which on top of my private health insurance extras I has been great, but I feel very sad that there's so much paperwork for the health care plan when it's only five visits over a calendar year. Over the podiatry, the physio, the osteo, et cetera, it can be... It's, you know, it just seems like a bit of a waste of time. It, um, it, it was shocking to Rochelle yeah. and I to learn that. It really was. And, and Jenny, I just wanted to ask about the pain. I mean, it, it strikes me that if you haven't experienced arthritis, you don't really have a sense of what it's like. There tends to be a little bit of a, for people like me to go, oh, yes, and of course it's painful. Oh, but no. from the descriptions I, I, you're saying, it's just beyond yeah, what we can be imagining. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk. I, I, would, I, I, I had to haul myself along the street sort of with my right leg hauling behind me because I couldn't walk. Um, mm. I teach, so I'm very careful about load management when I'm in the classroom. My t- students are very kind and collect material and come up to my desk. Um, my boss is really fantastic about it, so I'm really lucky from that perspective. Um, but it, the pain was excruciating. And even with all the work with 
the wonderful physio, it's still not perfect, but much more manageable. It doesn't go clunk anymore. Oh, yeah. um, like the clunking was just horrific. I <laughs> just know. And it just impacts everything from the ability to just go and get a handful of groceries or, as we've heard today, to be able to pick up your grandkids, whatever yeah. it may be. Ranjani Thomas is a professor of rheumatology at the University of Queensland. We've been speaking a lot today about some of the advances and the potential cures and treatments that people can have. There's some world-leading research that you've been looking into, I know, Ranjani, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, we have been developing a, a strategy to uh, suppress the immune system si simply to the antigens that the immune system is seeing in the rheumatoid arthritis and not the whole body. Um, so this is using a tiny nanoparticle um, which encapsulates um, a peptide which is related to the rheumatoid arthritis joint and an uh, immune modulatory drug, um, which is actually vitamin D, which um, suppresses the cells that are presenting that antigen to the immune system, with the overall effect that um, in an um, initial clinical trial, we saw some really nice um, responses um, that the immune system actually did what it was told to do and, and did um, uh, modulate and uh, the patient's clinical responses really um, reduced in, in people getting uh, low doses of this um, uh, vaccine style therapy. Uh, Ranjani, that's actually quite an amazing uh, technology. It sounds like you're quite far along with the research. Just in, in terms of how this treatment would look if it comes out uh, for people, is this a regular treatment? This isn't sort of a one-off cure, obviously. Well, the way that we are planning this, and we're about to do a trial in adults with type 1 diabetes, uh, what, the way that we're planning this is to try to use this as a way to extend remission. So in diabetes, uh, we're going to take adults who are new in the um, course of their disease, so after, soon after onset, and this is immune-mediated diabetes, not um, type 2 diabetes, and then give them a course of therapy with the idea being that we induce regulation towards the problematic um, an antigens that are killing off cells in the pancreas um, and then can stabilise their uh, glucose and their insulin production um, and then monitor that so that um, if things start to go off over time, we can give them another mm. course. But that's the idea is that we give a course of therapy for prolonged action. So in rheumatoid arthritis, our idea is that uh, we get patients into nice stable um, responses with their regular drugs um, soon after the onset of disease again give them a course of treatment and then try to maintain that stability um, and potentially be able to get them off their current drugs so how that's the plan hard was because that sounds incredible how hard was it for you to get the funding for this research and how secure is the funding for this research Ranjani because that's something that we've discovered today that that recognition and support just doesn't feel like it's there um well this has been a journey really since um 2003 with the first publication and then uh, some patents and then um the development of a uh, commercial pathway to a product and uh, partnership with a pharmaceutical company and and now a new spin-off company uh, which is now going to trial a product in type 1 diabetes and ongoing work in rheumatoid arthritis so what we really um, 
trying to do always is navigate the funding uh, landscape for grants, but also to partner so that we can bring this type of uh, therapy to the marketplace and make it uh, widely available because grant funding, while it's great to do the initial research, is never going to be enough to get that. We've had a few people mention today, uh, either calling in or texting, that they, they've taken some of the current treatments for rheumatoid arthritis and had to stop them. They just weren't reacting well to them. It sounds like this, when it comes to market, will be a completely separate option that, that may be more effective for people who can't stomach the, the current uh, the treatments. Yes, um, assuming this does come to market, and still a long, long way to go, um, but if, if that were to happen, the idea is to try to nip it in the bud when uh, soon after you develop the disease because after development is the most likely time at which you're going to respond to the current drugs. And as time goes on, um, for various reasons, people can lose control as they've been texting in. Um, and so it becomes harder and harder to, to maintain control. So, yes, that's exactly what we plan to do. Wow. We've also di- we've discovered so many things today, but one of the other things is that we just don't have enough rheumatologists either. What made you want to get into the profession, Ranjani? What interested you? Uh, the immune system. I always loved to, um, the immune system uh, since I became a physician and was just fascinated by how it worked. And um, I landed in rheumatology as a trainee and thought this is where I can bring my love for the immune system and um, immune-mediated diseases, autoimmune diseases together. And then I got into research and then I've maintained a career in research and clinical medicine. Well, there are 4 million Australians thanking you (laughs) for the work (laughs) and for the work and research that you do. Ranjani, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and your work. That's Ranjani Thomas, a professor in rheumatology at the University of Queensland. She's at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane. I'm embarrassed to say, David, that I didn't, because Dr. David Lewis with you as well, the medical director of Arthritis Australia and also a rheumatologist from a public hospital in Melbourne, I didn't really link our immune system and arthritis together. I kind of saw it as a physical condition and as, as a physical disease. And yet I've learnt so much today about that connection between immunity and arthritis. And it's uh, it's not just you. <laughs> and I think a lot of um, general doctors even think about arthritis as just limited to the joints, but we know that a lot of arthritis um, has whole system effects, which mean that it can have effects right across the body. And looking at what, and that's linked by the immune system, what uh, Ranjani is looking at is incredible because I think if you've got a chance to be able to try and deliver that almost cure for some people with rheumatoid arthritis, that's really exciting. But at the same time, you know, Ranjani has um, come through a period of time where she got grant funding early, she was lucky enough, and I, I wish we had more Ranjani Thomases. We have, mm. um, you know, to be able to support world-leading research here we was something we used to be able to be better at, and then now emerging researchers just fall through the valley of death. We basically lose them. They want to do research. Um, they're often doing research for free and then and basically they just can't get enough to support their research. And we that should disappears. be, as a society, yeah. quite outraged. We should be. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's really sad because... Um, I don't know if I'm just, you know, end of the year tired and angry or if I'm actually... We should be just angry I, at this. I feel pretty angry about yeah. this, what yeah. I'm learning, especially some of the numbers, David, you were talking about. I, I'm actually quite shocked. Yeah. I mean, I have um, a colleague at my hospital who is doing research for free. Basically, she works two days a week without pay, and uh-huh. she just doesn't know whether she can keep on doing it anymore because she doesn't have 
just small amounts of money to support the kind of um, expenses that you would associate with normal research. And that's, I wish that was an isolated story. It's a, it's a very common story. And so it basically means that I, I, um, I've got a lot of hope for um, Professor Thomas's work, but I'm not sure that we'll be able to produce the Professor Thomas's in 30 oh. years' time. It's, it's, um, it's just disgraceful. It is disgraceful. Oh, it's just disgraceful. Diane's in Belgrave. Morning, Diane. Oh, hi. Um, I just wanted to um, talk about the impact of inflammatory arthritis on brain function. So I was diagnosed with cirrhotic arthritis in my mid-50s. And one of the symptoms that hasn't really been talked about is I understand it's a process of the inflammation that actually um, impacts and causes what people often call brain fog. And I think that um, certainly is an under... um, representation Mm. of what it is I call it cognitive fatigue but it actually meant that I had to give up work I can't concentrate um, for more than Mm. two hours and a two-hour shift isn't helpful so people may not understand that the thinking ability um, is impacted by the inflammatory process and of course that's compounded by sleep issues Brain fog, mm-hmm. that's a big part. And I guess too, depending on Diane's age, sometimes that might get passed off of, oh, that's just you know a symptom of menopause or whatever it may be. How real is brain fog and arthritis? Well, we do know that arthritis can just have an effect on the body. It's not just brain fog. It's also about energy levels. It's about being, uh, you know, feeling, waking up in the morning and fe- feeling completely washed out. Now, I don't, <laughs> it sounds trivial because we all feel a bit tired at times and we all have difficulty concentrating at times. But this kind, to that extent, it's really just life-changingly devastating. And I wish we could, um, if we can bring good treatments to more people, we'll reduce that down. But we also need to do more to try and combat those side effects of the disease itself. How do we get a spotlight other than doing yeah. programs like this, yeah. right, which are vital and important, and the amount of people that are sent in messages thanking not only us for having this conversation but thanking you, Dr David Liu, as well for the work that you do. How do we get a spotlight on this so that funding for arthritis moves up from $3 per person? Yes. Well, I I mean, it's the kind of thing we just need to put more um, pressure on in the funding bodies and I think that's what Arthritis Australia tries to do, really, to advocate for more training, um, to train more rheumatologists, to train other different types of health professionals. We haven't spoken about um, uh, specialist nurses today but other allied health as well and then to really work on that funding. And I know that we are living through difficult economic times, but the longer perspective is that we really do have to do more if we're to deal with the burden of arthritis. Someone's life's got to be worth more than a happy meal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Well, people can go to Arthritis Australia. I mean, I, I feel like there needs to be some open letters written and some big signatures put onto this. David, thank you so much thank for you. the work that you do. And can you say thank you to your colleague as well that's working two days a week for free <laughs> doing research for this? Because as we said before... That's outrageous, and you know, and let's hope that either her as and also too, uh, you know, the the research, the world leading research that we heard about today, that that gets up and running because we need it. So thanks so much for your for your time and for your work that you do. Thank you so much, Dr. David Looms, the medical director of Arthritis Australia, is also a rheumatologist from a public hospital in Melbourne. Been shocked many times, Nick Healy, but today is right up at the top.
I am so glad we got to talk about this and uh, a big thank you to everyone who texted in if we didn't get to your text. Um, especially people who just want to talk about what their experience have been like. I, as we were saying before, this is a, a hard thing to get a spotlight on. I'm really glad that you were able to, um, to chat to us about it. So thank you. Nick Healy, this is our last program together for this year, but uh, you'll be filling in for me and Jan and, and back next year. So, hey, mate, uh, thank you so much. Have a great Christmas. I will have a fantastic Christmas and you should as well. Thank you. Nick Healy, of course, as always, joining you from ABC Shepparton. I'll be back with you tomorrow. And tomorrow, Paul Kennedy is my co-host. Of course, you know him from ABC Sport. And we're looking at why kids of the 80s could jump higher and run faster than kids of today. The Australian Sports Commission wants us to look into maybe why kids just aren't as sporty as they used to be. Till then, take care.